Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly treat you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. Willingly we choose to surrender our life. Willingly our knees will bow. With all of our hearts, souls, and mind, we spread we you now. Come, just the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. 
just as you are before your God. Come. 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 I sat down before I had to tell you. Good job. <laughs> On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem looked, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. Let's pray. Lord, as we are reminded of your work, pray, Lord, that we would never forget that your gracious coming, that your provided redemption is a covering for our iniquity, that what we have broken, you repair, and when we have gone astray, you bring us home. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen us, that you would strengthen our hearts and minds, that we would know the truth and follow unto you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice.
All right, first and most importantly, thank some of you guys for sitting on this side for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> I've been joking for a month. Everybody's been on one side except for like four people, and it just completely messes me up. So now it's like an actual balance. So I, I appreciate that. If nobody else does, I appreciate that. So I'm not OCD at all, not, not even a little bit. Is that me? No, I don't think so. <sighs> sounds this sound system scares me someday. So, yeah. all right, if it's gonna misbehave, I better hurry up. Reminder: I don't know. If, can you smell some of it? There's there's lunch today. So, if you brought something, thank you. If you didn't bring something, go to lunch anyway, or else we'll be offended. <laughs> so, there's food that way. I was just through the kitchen. There's plenty of stuff. So, come on and eat. We'll enjoy it. Fun will be had by all. Um, reminders of calendar things coming along. Read your bulletin. All the important calendar things are in there, including Friday. This Friday is Good Friday. We will gather. Six o'clock, we'll have some snacks, make some coffee. Seven o'clock, Good Friday service. Can't really say we will celebrate the crucifixion of Christ, can you? I mean, that's <laughs> just, like, you can't say it like that. That's just wrong. We will commemorate. I, th I think you can. I think we can say it that way and, and be, you know, uh-oh, I'm afraid. Congratulations. Does she get a medal? Is that how this works? <laughs> he did. <laughs> he does. <laughs> you get a plaque, she gets a medal. There you go. Yeah. Oh, speak, uh, speaking of anniversaries, that was a reminder. Um, Sam and Shelby are still doing well. She's doing so well that she's been trying to get measurements about making new banners for in here. So she's threatening to have new ones for Easter. And she, she made a point to remind me the other day that it, uh, the last, last week was her and Sam's, what did she tell me, 64th anniversary? Which then she also reminded me, which is amazing because I'm only 65 years old. <laughs> yes, sir. Point eight, yay! So that is actual progress. Yes, that has been. We're going on like a year plus with that, aren't we? Oh my goodness! So all right, keep up the good work. So, so yeah. So uh, continue. Remember Sam and Shelby as you go along. They're doing well. It's just Sam just doesn't have the energy on a regular basis to be out and about that much. He makes it to doctor's appointments, and that's about the extent of it. So, all right. Anything else I am forgetting? All right. Um, Seventeen, forty-two, ninety-three, sixty-five. <laughs> Elaine is counting. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you can say this one out loud before Elena kills me. <laughs> to restore the Red Sea to its place, what did Moses stretch over the water? His hand. His hand. I knew you knew that. Now, the fun part of that was why? Did God need Moses to do this number, like it was the Jedi mind trick, in order to, to, to put the waters no. back? I don't think so. No, not typically. So why do that? If you'll remember, throughout all the plagues of Egypt, they all involved what we call the use of means. So before Moses, or before God brings forth the hail, what does Moses do? He stretch out, stretches out the staff towards the sky. He waves the staff over the land of Egypt. Why do this? It was to center the authority of God in Moses as the deliverer of the people. Now remember, who's the deliverer of the people? Christ. God is. Yep. Moses is not. But it confirms that Moses is the prophet delivering the message approved by God so that Moses can function as a type. Always remember this. Moses' primary work for us 
as far as we are concerned, is that he is a picture of Christ. So as the, as the deliverer of Israel, he is a picture of Christ as the deliverer of his people. As the prophet, as Deuteronomy 18 would make mention, as Exodus proves, he is a picture of the prophet who will speak the words of God and proclaim the teachings of God rightly and securely. So Moses is functioning as a picture for us by demonstrating all of these things so that you will be longing for the fulfillment in Christ. <sighs> Sound good? Mm-hmm. All right. Don't say this one out loud. In the back there, don't say it out loud. What did Simon Peter say to Jesus after Jesus caused him to catch many fish? Remember, reason for the question. This is one of my favorite Bible stories simply because it's like Peter is such a dude here. He's like, eh, he's on the fence about Jesus. Look at all these fish. <laughs> Clark, my Mike and Clark are like, I, I understand that reaction. <laughs> so. Read that. It'll be good for you. Last chance, anything I am forgetting. So, Good Friday service this Friday. We have lunch today. That means next Sunday is Easter. So, you don't have to change clocks or anything. So, it'll be good. All right. If that's the case, I'm going to get out of the way, and we'll continue on with worship. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they whitest? No, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed washed in the blood, in the the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh with your robes be white, pure and white in the blood of the Lamb. Will your soul be ready for the mansion bride? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean No, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed in the blood In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? 
Oh, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Okay, now. My water's trying to escape. Stay. Uh, I want to see Vern do those dance moves. <laughs> take up a, we, we can take up a collection for that. Give us a number. I'll bet we'd hit it. <laughs> All right, we are going to have fun today. That is not a misprint. We are going to deal with Palm Sunday in the book of Revelation. Woohoo! So... Now, pet peeve of mine, so if this is you, I'm not picking on you, just so you'll know next time, 
there's only one. That's just one of those things that's bugged me from the beginning of time. It is the book of Revelation. Just, just so you know, there's no S. Just, yeah. I always, I'm always sensitive to that. I'll never forget Cameron. It took her three years to convince her principal of the elementary school she taught in that there was just one of her. Because every time the principal needed her for a meeting or something, she'd be, Lebates. She's like, it's just me. It's Lebate. For three years, it was Lebates. So, which I told her she should be happy she at least got the Lebate part right because nobody gets that. I have been called all sorts of things under the sun, sometimes by family. So, we are going to be in Revelation for Palm Sunday because it shows, you guys know the Palm Sunday story, and if you don't, you can read John 12. We read part of it this morning. You can go home and read that. It will be good for you this week to go read that. Enjoy that. Pick a little section out of Luke, Matthew, and John and read through the whole story this week. There's something for every day, and it will be fun. But what Revelation shows us is the fulfillment of these events, not just the culmination at Calvary, not not this Calvary, but the, the cross Calvary, but it shows the fulfillment of these things. And believe it or not, this is a little self-serving, this fits us into what we're looking at when we're talking through Exodus. Shameless plug alert, right? <laughs> this starts with the concept of deliverance, and there are no banjos involved in this one. Yay, somebody got that one. <laughs> Has nothing to do with Burt Reynolds and a canoe. <laughs> it is contrasted with a people being delivered while another people is being judged and condemned. Christian, isn't this where we live each day? We live as a redeemed people in the midst of a creation and a people that are being judged and wrath is being poured out on. Now, two big rules, right? I haven't said these in a while, so we need to be reminded what are our two big Bible reading rules? Never ever read one verse, and never just like open a book into the middle and start. You will have 17 questions and no answers. So, seven is not the beginning, is it? No. So, you ready? First century, the island of Patmos. What is a Patmos, you may ask? It is a Greek island in the Aegean Sea. According to Revelation 1.9, John the Apostle has been exiled there by the Roman authorities. Fun times were not being had by all. In Revelation 1, we have the greeting to the seven churches and a vision of Christ before John. In chapters 2 and 3, John is given letters to send out to those seven churches. You ever want to find some good theology that corresponds to the rest of the New Testament? Read those letters. They're very short. They will, in fact, do you good. In chapter 4, you get the vision of the throne room. John is seeing God enthroned in the worship that is going on around. You also see in chapter 5 the worthy lamb as though it had been slain who is worthy to take the scroll and open it. He is the only one who is worthy. This is connecting you to the ideas where Jesus talks about all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Why? Because he has accomplished the work that God has ordained to be accomplished. So chapter 5, he takes the scroll. Chapter 6, the seals are broken. Six of them, in fact. The seal brings forth the conqueror, brings forth conflict, brings forth famine, death, persecution. Basically, the entire universe is picked up by God like a snow globe, and this happens. And then he puts it down. The wrath of God and of the Lamb is poured out, and chapter 6 ends with verse 17 with the, uh, with the great declaration. The wrath of God and the Lamb is poured out, and who can stand? Enter chapter 7. You see a vision of the 144,000 who are sealed. Just so that when the Jehovah's Witnesses show up at your door, because I know they don't ask questions anymore. Am I the only person that gets this now? The Jehovah's Witnesses show up, give you the piece of paper, and then run like this? They used to talk to you and try to convince you of stuff. Now they're, 
now that it's like they're 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 the Girl Scouts are braver than the Jehovah's Witnesses at this point. The Girl Scouts are like, buy some cookies. I don't want any cookies. Buy some cookies. Okay, four boxes. I'm sorry. Buy the cookies before something bad happens to you. Gotcha. No. Jehovah's Witnesses used to be like that, but if they ever show up and they tell you about the 144,000, ask them, is that a spiritual 144,000 or a literal 144,000? Because the groups that are listed are according to the 12 divisions of Israel, right? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. What is that song? Leave it to leave it to Vern to have a ringtone from the Loring Swell Cower. <laughs> is that where that comes from? <laughs> Sounds like something from Lawrence Welk when my grandparents used to watch the black and white stuff on CBS. What is this? I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, ask them if it's a literal or a spiritual 144,000 because it is neither the 12 tribes nor the 12 sons. It is an amalgamation of both sons and tribes. Why is it a merging of both sons and tribes? Because it's teaching you that it is a mixed multitude. It is not just an ethnic Israel. It is a concept of a spiritual Israel, redeemed by faith. The children of Abraham are all those who have believed. And that is why the, num the numbers are given like they are given. So, with all of that said, you have just enough background in Revelation to be dangerous, which I think is sufficient for us to dive in. So, Revelation 7, 9 through 17. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every tribe and all tribes and peoples and tongues, I'm sorry, from every nation and all tribes of peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped god saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our god forever and ever amen then one of the elders answered saying to me these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, in the center of the throne, will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. <sighs> There's a whole Sunday morning in there, I promise. So let's go back to the beginning. Some of this will be quick. Some of this will slow down on. So, after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is that connection to that 144,000 I was talking about, a mixed multitude. This is not just ethnic Israel. This is faithful Israel. Faithful Israel, as Galatians 3 points out, or, yeah, no. Galatians 2 or 3, read Galatians. It will do you good. Romans 2 also makes the same point, though. Those who are of faith are the children of Abraham. It is those who are of faith who are heirs of the promise. This is a fulfillment in action. Go all the way back to Genesis 12. The promise given to Abraham, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, go to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. That's good enough, but, and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you 
and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Because we believe in the name of Abraham? No. Because we believe in the one who came from Abraham, who is Christ. He is the blessing to the nations. As shown here, who stands before the throne of God worshiping? The nations. Genesis 15, the promise is reiterated. God took Abraham outside and said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Paul hearkens back to this moment as the father moment for Abraham. This is the reasoning. God reckons grace to Abraham, not because of his obedience, but because of his faith. Abraham is the father of those who are faithful. And this is carried over in the New Testament. Romans 4, you want the good rundown? The promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. The law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is also no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us at all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. And again, that is not centered on Abraham, but it is centered on the one from whom comes, or no, one who comes from Abraham. If I could speak English, we would be in really good shape. The one who comes from Abraham, John 10. Jesus telling the crowds, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. This should be the reminder of Palm Sunday. It is not a celebration of Israel's king. Not as you think of Israel today, anyway. It is a reminder of the gospel message. For which people should the gospel message be proclaimed? This is an easy one. The answer is all of them, exactly. All of them. It is a message for people. It is a message for the nations. Even those dirty rotten sinners over there? Yes. Even those dirty rotten sinners over there. What about the ones that are over there? Even them too. Even the ones who are right here. It is a message for all people. The message of Palm Sunday is not the conquering king of Israel. It is the conquering king of creation. The one who sits enthroned before all, who has the authority to bring the wrath of chapter 6, who has the authority to bring the redemption of chapter 7, who has the authority to deliver the messages to his people in chapters 2 and 3, the one who has authority over all because he is maker and sustainer of all. That is what Palm Sunday is. When the people are rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting him because he is not the earthly savior that they want. But he is the heavenly savior that they need. And that's the difference. Always remember this as you're reading your Bible. This is not just something for those people then. It is a message of salvation and hope in a world that is so desperately in need of it. Because what changes the hearts and minds of men? Holy Spirit. God alone does this. By what means does he do so? By the proclamation of his gospel, our sin, his great work, his gracious forgiveness. If we lose this message, we have gone into the world completely unarmed. We can't win any battle fighting on their terms. We, just, we can't do it. We have to think biblically, and we have to think 
in a gospel way so that we are proclaiming not my brilliance, not our wisdom, and not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness and God's forgiveness in him. So, with that said, let's see, and we're going to continue in, yeah, this verse. So, tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches are in their hands. All right, just quick aside, we're going to get to the white robes later. So, put that away. We'll come back to the white robes. It comes up again, I promise. Palm branches. Why are we dealing with palm branches? Believe it or not, this goes all the way back to the parts of the Bible we skip. <laughs> well, I say we. we not like, like we as in us, but like we as in everybody. Because in Sunday school, we didn't skip it. Leviticus. You know it's a good Sunday when you get a Leviticus reference, right? Leviticus 23. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native-born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Should have made the adjustment on the fly. I get tired of saying the word booths every so often. Feast of booths, feast of tabernacles. I like tabernacles better because it connects us better to this. Um, is it? What's my good pronunciation, Lou? Sukkot? Sukkot. I, I never remember what's the long and the short O. That's the one that always messes me up. Um, typically, uh, in our calendar, this would be September, October every year. This is the Feast of Tabernacles, commemorating what? Israel, when they left Egypt, we know this part of the story, right? We, this is what we've been doing. They crossed the Red Sea, and they're wandering in the wilderness. What are they living in? They're living in deserts, so what keeps them from being under, you know, whatever's out there during the night? They make tents. They make tents. They go camping, basically. Just, yeah, that, that's, that's your tabernacle. We're, we're going to cover tabernacle in a minute. That's going to come up again, so put that one in the back of your brain. Remember the word tabernacle. They lived in tents. God wants them to remember this because, once again, who wants to go camping for 40 years with a tent? <laughs> like, we joke, there's shows on HGTV about this where people are making the yurts out in the wilderness thing, right? You know, and you're like, they put the sticks in the ground. And every time you see one of those, your first thought is, that's just going to last for the next, you know, 20, 30 years, right? No, you always make sure you have what when you go camping if you're going to be out there for a while. Bring an extra tarp, just in case. Call me crazy, just in case. One of the blessings of the Exodus is they walked around for 40 years in the wilderness, and their feet didn't swell, and their shoes didn't wear out, their tents didn't fall apart, and they didn't die. It's a celebration of what? The redemption of God. They celebrate this with palm branches. I don't know if you missed that part. Why the palm branches? It's a mark of royalty. You'll see this again in Israel's history. If you ever get really bored and you want to go digging around, you can go find the books of First and Second Maccabees. Part of the Apocrypha, the uh, historical and wisdom books of what we call the intertestamental period, the period from the end of the Old Testament with Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament with Matthew. It's 400 years of, of prophetic silence in Israel. The Maccabees during that time is where you get Hanukkah from, the cleansing of the temple, the restoration of Israel. When the Maccabees entered into Jerusalem triumphantly, guess what the people celebrated with? Palm branches. 
signifying what? Deliverance and redemption from God. Conquering their enemies, moving forward. This was their mark of royalty. That's what we read earlier in John 12. When Jesus comes in, they heard Jesus coming. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They are marking him as their king. Again, they missed it. Is he king? Yes. But is he king the way they think he is? Absolutely not. For Jesus, this is a marking of more. This is a marking of his messiahship. That which is known is now proved. Going all the way back to John 1. Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Well, duh, because if he's son of God, guess what else he's king of? <laughs> Everything. Now, if this group is acknowledging by waving the palm branches and worshiping that this is God, this is the second member of the Trinity, this is the Messiah, then the rest of this makes a lot of sense. Verses 10, 11, and 12. They cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Knowing what they know, they have, dis they have rightly worshipped Christ as Messiah, the promised Savior, the Redeemer, promised in the garden promised and figured in Exodus, promised in Deuteronomy, who will know the Lord face to face, the king promised from 2 Samuel, the one who will be of the tribe of Judah from Genesis 49, all of those things that were promised, delivered in Christ. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Remember last week we did Latin? Anybody remember their pop quiz in Latin? Everybody's looking like, huh, huh, we did Latin last week? Yes, yes, we did Latin last week. The five solas of the Reformation. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura, solus Christus, sola Deo gloria. You are saved by faith, by grace, through faith, as revealed in Scripture, by Christ, to the glory of God alone. There's the glory of God alone on display. If God is God, and he is, and if Christ has accomplished what he has accomplished, and he has, who should worship? Who should worship? Everyone! This is why when the Pharisees come to Jesus and complain, do you see what your disciples are doing? They're blaspheming. And you say, tell them to shut up. And Jesus said, if they were quiet, the rocks would cry out. The creation would worship because what? The king of creation is here. And they say, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And all God's people should be able to say, amen. <laughs> That's just a good praise, isn't it? Nothing left out there. This is how you worship God, recognizing all that he is and all that he has done. One of the elders answered it saying to me, verse 13, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? Told you we'd come back to the white robes. This is a good question. You want to know this too, don't you? Bunch of people walking around with white robes and palm branches. Where? Uh, good question. John has a better answer. I said to him, my Lord, you know. So it continues with 14. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This would have jumped off the page for a first century Christian knowing his Bible. Now, it jumps off the page at 21st century Christians who know their dispensationalism, unfortunately, a little too much. <laughs> Lou's got a grin. He's like, no, we're not going down that road completely. Once again, if I have convinced you of nothing else in the last, what year is it? 18, 19, 20, in the last three and a half years. If I have convinced you of nothing else in the last three and a half years, it should be 
that your Bible has what we call continuity. That we have a singular message from beginning to end. The stuff that's occurring in Revelation is not disconnected from the stuff that was happening in Leviticus or the stuff that's going on with the prophets and the stuff that's going on in the Gospels connects to what's going on in the kingdom. All of this stuff is working together to tell a story. The same thing is going on right here. Too often we read Great Tribulation and we go, oh, that, that's the rapture and the seven years and everything's going to hell in a handbasket and nothing good is happening, right? No. Remember, if you were a first century Christian, your primary Bible would have been which books? It would have predominantly been the Old Testament. You might have had a gospel in your town or community. They were spreading. They, were, they had been written at this point for about 30, 35 years, depending on which gospel, depending on where you were. depends on how many copies your area might have. You would maybe have a collection or some of the letters of Paul. Your predominant Bible would have been the Old Testament. You would have been reading it and studying it. And when you were looking at prophetic things you would have run back to where I ran back to when I read this, which is Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, no, not me, the good one, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. These, standing around the throne in white robes with their palm branches, are the ones who have been killed for the faith. The ones who have testified rightly and the world has said, no, we're done with you. This is what's warned in Scripture. This is why, again, you always remember your rundown. Romans 5, 1 Peter 1, James 1, constantly telling you what? In this world, you'll have difficulties. In this world, there will be struggles, and you do what? You. The imagery of James is of standing firm under pressure, bearing up, holding strong. How does a column succeed? Does the column succeed by running away? <laughs> no, that's a failed column. When it runs away in terror at the weight you have placed upon it, that column has failed. The Christian is supposed to be like the column that succeeds. As the world applies pressure, we do what? This is why you are rooted, Colossians 2. Why you are dug deep onto the rock, like in Luke 6. Why you have the anchor of Christ, was it Ephesians 4, that keeps you from being blown by every wind and wave of doctrine. When the pressure and the difficulty of the world comes, the Christian faith digs in. And it stands firm because we stand upon the truth of that gospel proclamation. What we started with, the king is not just of Israel, it is the king of creation and he has redeemed us by his work and he has told us to stand there faithful people will do what stand there two contrasting images in the last month are what i've gotten a chance to look at and again i'll let you go dig it up if you'd like and you can make a determination uh james coates if you remember i mentioned this a couple weeks ago is a pastor in canada they the canadian health department told me he had to close his church and he said no so they arrested him, and they put him in jail for 35 days. And they just released him last week. I think, oh, I forget what it was, a 1000 or $1,500 fine is what they gave him with. And he flat out told the court, he's like, I'm not trying to send any message. I'm just trying to be faithful and have church. That's what God commands us to do, and that's what we're going to do. And the judge basically told him, how dare you? We're going to make an example out of you and give you the most fine I can give you. This is basically what he said. He's, you know, we're in charge of your church, not you. 
So they let him out. He's actually supposed to be back at his church for the first Sunday in several weeks this morning. Compare that image with a video I saw two weeks ago of a pastor in California who put out a video that he sent to the health department in his county begging them to allow him to open his church. I have thoughts. Most of them are probably not appropriate to say out loud because even if you are afraid, that is the wrong way to go about it. As Christians, we never go to Caesar and say, please, can we worship the Lord our God? We go to Caesar and say, who do you think you are? You will stand before him, and you will either stand waving a palm branch or you will stand before him in judgment. See, one of those men, I think, is standing firm. One of them is running away. The world is going to make Christians choose. The warning and encouragement of Scripture is that you stand firm and faithful. Because trust me, there will be no quarter for those who surrender a little bit. There's nowhere they'll let you stand. None. The darkness wars against the light. The light has victory by simply existing and shining. And that's what these people have done. And that's why they now stand before God. These are the ones who have come out of the tribulation. Why do they have these robes? Why have they come out of the tribulation to stand before God? Because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This again connects back to similar Old Testament themes. Zechariah chapter 3. You get a Leviticus and a Zechariah. You know that's a good day because those are two books that nobody reads. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. How's that for a scene? The high priest of the temple of God is standing before the Lord, and Satan is right there to lob accusations. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? How's that for some imagery? Joshua the high priest is a brand, a rod, plucked from the fire. What happens when you leave metal in the fire for any length of time? Yeah, what God is saying is he was in that flame and he was pretty toasty and I did what? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him saying, remove the filthy garments from him. And again he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. And then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. He was dirty. He was filthy. He was guilty. And now because of God, he is not guilty. And he is clean. And he is ready for a party. Or as Sinbad famously said, a party. That's what's going on here. That's the imagery that John is seeing. That's the imagery that he's writing. If you were a first century Christian knowing your Old Testament, those are the things that would have popped into your head. Now, obviously, if you had any of your New Testament books, you would have seen this connection to the work of Christ, right? Hebrews chapter 9. If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God? In other words, what's the comparison? It's a, it's a lesser to the greater. If you could offer the lamb, 
and you could offer the goats and the bulls, and you would be cleansed enough to continue to function and to stand before God blameless. How much more will the sprinkling of the blood of God cleanse you and strengthen you and set you on your path? It's a pretty good argument. Also harkens back to one of John's own letters, 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So we stand and walk, why? Because we are clean. We are clean because we are his. So, 15. This is where we get back to those, ta to those tents and tabernacles. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. This is where the NASB is so good and does us no favors because the NASB translates that literally. It's, it's the word tabernacle. The problem is, how many of you have ever used the word tabernacle in a sentence outside of talking about a Bible verse? <laughs> yeah, we don't talk like this anymore. We spread a covering. We spread a tent. We spread a dwelling. That's what tabernacle is. It's a covering. To tabernacle among them was how God phrased when he came down to the tent of meeting which was known as the tabernacle. To tabernacle is to dwell, is to cover, to protect. Literally, God, because these have stood faithfully, because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, they are his, and as they stand before him, God spreads his covering over them. Now, when God covers you, what uncovers you? This is easy. When God does it, who undoes it? No one. So when God covers it, who uncovers it? The only person capable of that would be God. And he has already promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that all who come to him he will redeem and raise up at the last day. So if he has, you have come to him and he has covered you, you are covered. You will not be uncovered. Once again, this connects you back to your law of the Old Testament. It's a two-for Sunday. You get two Leviticus references, aren't you special? Leviticus 26. I shall grant peace in the land, so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall eliminate harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through. You will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. I will turn toward you and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk upright. Notice how it's couched in what? What's, ex what's Exodus showing? That the Israelites aren't in Egypt anymore? No, that they have been redeemed from Egypt. They have been purchased by the work of God. That's why all of these laws and all these prophets are always hearkening back to this redemption. They are hearkening back to the work that God has done. Your Ten Commandments start with what? What's the beginning of the Ten Commandments? Don't do that or else! No, no. no there's before that. Chapter starts with what? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
See, God gives you these laws not because he's some big sky meanie who hates you and wants to stomp on you when you mess up. He gives you these laws because you're his people. Why are you his people? Because he has bought you and brought you in. Christian, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Why do you care how you live in this world? I mean, that's a legitimate question that you should ask yourself on a regular basis. Because look around at your friends and neighbors in the world who do not know Christ. Why do they live like they do and why do they care? And the answer is a lot of times they what? They don't. I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you do. I don't care what I think. I don't care what I do half the time. Why not? Because this world has what meaning? It has no meaning. There's nothing there. In Christ, I have a conscience. I have a redeemed body, a Holy Spirit who's going, hey, stop that. I don't want to stop that. Yes, you do. I know I want to stop it, but I know, okay, I'm working on it. It's a war. It's not a war outside of you. Most of the time, it's a war inside of you. Why? Because he's bought me. The blood of the lamb has been paid as a price for me. He has purchased and redeemed me. Therefore, he gets some rights, doesn't he? Didn't you ever tell your kids this? Don't mess up my floor. <laughs> don't you dare make a mess in whose kitchen? My kitchen. You don't get to mess up my kitchen. That's my kitchen. You, either, you have either said this to your children or your parents have said it to you. When you grow up and you pay the bills, then you can... <laughs> and you're sitting there going, oh, I remember these lectures. Oh, I, I remember them. That's one of my favorite commercials. I don't remember what the mortgage company was for, but the guy's walking around and he's talking to his mother on the phone. And as he's walking through, he's just walking through the house, turning lights on. And he opens up the refrigerator, and then he goes to the front door and opens the front door. And when he gets to the front door, he goes, oh, and by the way, tell Dad that, yes, all the lights in the house are on and the doors are wide open. Because <laughs> if you've had children under the age of 10, you know what you spent half of your day doing. Closing doors and turning off lights. Why do you do that? Because they're expensive. I don't want to air condition the whole neighborhood. I don't want to light up the whole street. I want to light up the room that I'm in. Why? Because I pay the bills. Why do you care? Because... You pay the bills. Why don't they care? They have not matured to the point that they care that you pay the bills. They don't understand the value of money. That's why you do what? Teach and instruct them. Congratulations, Christian. Why do you stand? Because God's paid the bills. Why do you walk? Because he's paid the bills. And you don't get that yet. So what is he doing in this world? He is teaching you and instructing you and using your sin and your iniquity to guide you and shape you so that as you turn from your sin each and every day, you are refined more and more so you recognize as you grow into maturity that somebody's paying the bill, so I should do what? I should take care of these things and I should work to endeavor to walk faithfully. That's why as an adult, you don't go still walk into your parents' house, turn on all the lights and open the doors because you recognize that there is a responsibility. See, you with young kids, are like, you're like, Stop it. You're killing my house. Where are the cameras? When we go home, we got to find the cameras. <laughs> this is how the world works, and it's the way that God continues to deal with us. It's a warning. We have been bought. Therefore, he has some rights. It's the same thing here. And part of his right is they're my people. So who do I protect? I protect them because they are my people. So I extend my covering over them. This is what you saw with John in the prologue in, in John's gospel. Again, notice how with Revelation, how many of these themes are connecting to the law, to John's gospel, and to John's letters. 
because he's got a theme that he's working through so that you will understand. Again, these should be consistent things. The word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. All of this matters because of the work that he has done. And by the way, this is restoration. When you talk about the entirety of the picture of Scripture, how is this place laid out? What was the starting point? A good garden, right? There's no death. There's no suffering. There's not even hard work. I mean, we got to tend the garden, but I mean, when you got this beautiful fruit and these wonderful vegetables and these sweet little animals running around, this is good. This is, I want to go do this. Matlock isn't this interesting. I've got more important things to go do. Some of you are like, hey, wait a minute, I like Matlock. I didn't say Matlock was evil, I just said the garden was better. So their work was a joy. They had God, they had his provision, they had everything. Their sin corrupts. Because of their sin, the curse falls. The ground is corrupted, the animals are corrupted, everything's corrupted. And it's wrong. And what is humanity longing for from that point forward? We want it back. We can't have it. And every time it's attempted, how does it go for humanity? <laughs> it's a revelation of our brokenness and our sin. There's no brokenness and sin here. They have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they stand before the throne worshiping, and God upon the throne says, these are my people. This is a restoration. When you get to the end of the re book of Revelation, what do you see? You see the full rest restoration. You see all of the redeemed standing where? In a garden, tree of life, provision. The river is flowing and the throne is there. You see the presence of God, the provision and cure for the creation, and you see a, a restored humanity helped and lifted up. Excuse me, can almost speak English today. Verse 16. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. This is fun because I keep telling you that we're hearkening back to John's letters and John's gospel. Anybody think of any places in John's gospel where you might see that imagery? Start with, they will thirst no more. John chapter 4. Samaritan woman, Jesus sitting by the well, and the woman comes to him, and he's like, you know, give me a drink. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you talking to me? If you knew, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink. And she says, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? What's the answer to that question? Yes, yes, I am. Yes, I am much greater than he. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So literally, become a Christian and never be thirsty again, right? Apparently, I am the most evil person on planet Earth. <laughs> no, it's figurative language. A wellspring of life springing up. What is that imagery for? Tap a well and what happens? Whee! <laughs> That's why we put the little cap on it, stick the pump down, you know. You get a pressurized well and it's fun. That's what salvation looks like. They don't thirst because they have been given what? Provision. They have been given a living water. They have been given Christ. They are now hungering and thirsting for 
righteousness, as the Beatitudes would tell you, and they will be satisfied in him. They'll hunger no longer. John chapter 6. Our fathers, this is the complaint of the crowds to Jesus, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. The fact that that needed to be said out loud for the crowd, it's not Moses who gave you manna, it's God. Moses isn't the deliverer. And again, this is the problem if you think from a human perspective. That's why I asked you guys when we were in the middle of Exodus, I asked you a couple weeks ago, who was the deliverer of Israel? You know what your first thought was? Same thing my first thought is. Moses. Or as is said in the Ten Commandments, because that'll be on this week, Moses. I've ne- I had never seen, I, t- I know I've said this before, but it's worth it. I had never seen that movie until about five years ago, and it was on, and Cameron's like, we're watching it. Because it was on like Easter Sunday. It was on that afternoon. And I'm like, okay, fine. We'll watch it. And I'm sitting there. And every single woman who's on the screen with Charlton Heston is just literally goes, Moses. And I actually said, the only thing that somebody hasn't done yet is somebody hasn't gone, a man. And then Moses passes out at the well. And Zipporah and her sisters find Moses. And the first thing the sister says is, a man. Ladies, you'll just have to help me out. Is Charlton Heston just that amazing? Is that how this works? Some, so that, that, I think that's a generational thing. Some of you are going, uh-huh, and some of you are going, I don't get it. So, yeah. <laughs> so enjoy Charlton Heston as Moses. Apparently it will do you good. But he's not the deliverer. So we, we do come full circle. I remember where I am. He is not the deliverer. God is the deliverer. He is not the one who provided quail and manna. God is who provided quail and manna. He's not the one who brings forth the water. God is the one who brings forth the water. This is part of the test and the trap of using means. This is why the trivia question was what it was. What's the lesson of God using means through Moses to accomplish the miracles? He doesn't have to, but he does for a reason. Part of it is a snare, and part of it is a celebration. It's a reminder of the prophet. It's a reminder of the deliverer who will work on behalf of God. That's the good part. The snare part is what's the temptation when you see this guy waving this stick around and the, the hail falls and the cattle die and the firstborn are gone and water comes out of the rock and the manna comes down from heaven. Who do, who's your thought to give credit to? Yeah, ooh, magic stick, magic stick. And you actually see this in Israel's history because they got to the point where they made an idol out of the bronze serpent that Moses had made to the point that the king has to destroy it. Why? Because no relic, think how cool that is. That almost a thousand years later, they have the bronze staff, the bronze, the staff with the bronze serpent on it in the temple as a commemoration of God delivering the people. And they were so corrupt and so wicked that the king was finally pointing, like, I don't care how cool it is or how old it is, throw it in the fire. The people are worshiping it and going into idolatry. Burn it, burn it with fire, which should be another lesson. What is so important that it should keep us from God? Nothing. A, th- a nearly thousand-year-old relic of God's deliverance. And the king was like, if it's a snare to the people, out of here. Gone. This, this is why I don't care about archaeology trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones was wasting his time. We don't need it! The better thing is, you just want to see the Nazis melt again. That's what you want. Vern's <laughs> like, it's ice. <laughs> That's all you want. We don't need the Ark. We don't need, again, this is the lie of humanity. If I had seen the manna. If I had seen the Red Sea part, you'd have been just like Korah. You'd have been like, oh yeah, we're holy too. What makes you so special? 
and then God would have opened up the ground and swallowed you whole, and I wouldn't have to talk to you. See, that's how this works. What do you get? The temptation of all of these things is to keep and pull your eyes away from God. There's the flesh. There's the sin at work. Again, that's why I came onto this side. The anchored position says what? No. No. Heart focused on God. Mind focused on God. Vision focused on God. Faithful walk in this world focused on God. That's why Jesus continues. I didn't forget where we were. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. There it is. In the fulfillment. That's why this section is a fulfillment. And that's why the punchline is Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. There it is. There's your connection. Odds are, if you were trying to get a copy of John's Apocalypse, which is a fancy word for revelation or revealing, you would have also wanted a copy of John's Gospel. And this is why you're connecting themes, because John is the one who records a lot of these statements, and John is the one who records a lot of these things. They connect because they are fulfillments of what God has been promising his people from the beginning, and they are shown in the work of Christ and in the culmination of all things. Why will this be so? Verse 17, for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of life, I'm sorry, to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. That's what we're looking for, right? Get me out of this place. That's why the end of Revelation is, Lord, come quickly. Now again, this is provision. Why is this true? Why will there not be heat? Why will we not hunger? Why will we not thirst? Because the lamb is in the center of the throne. The lamb who has been as slain. The one who got out of the tomb. The one who walked into Jerusalem, was rejected by the crowds, was crucified, and walked back again on Sunday morning. He is the one who has ascended to the Father. He is the one who will return in judgment. He is the one who upholds his people. This is the provision. And again, you want to connect your Bible beginning to end? This is, begin, this is connection beginning to end. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul and he guides me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. There's your quiet waters. There's your restoring of the soul being covered by God, redeemed and comforted by him. Paul could tell the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. How? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, because the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that look like in a world that hates you? Looks like a pastor standing in a courtroom saying, I'm just having church. And you can't tell me no. We're just having church. That's peace. What's he worried about? Shut down your church or we're taking you to jail. <laughs> I mean, that's what he did. You know they're having a party today, right? They're probably having more food than we got. <laughs> I would like to think if I was in jail for three for 35 days, what is that, not quite five weeks? I would like to think there'd be food when I got out. Just, just a heads up, you know, when that time comes. 
because they wouldn't even let Daryl bail him out, you know? Daryl's always my bail man. He's like, Daryl's always like, I got you. <laughs> they actually told him no. They wouldn't give him bail. That's why they made him sit in jail for five weeks just so they could give him a fine and be like, now don't do it again. And well, he goes, all right, bye. We're going to go do it again. That's peace, though. That's calm. This is the testimony of all of those who have stood firm in the church. Um, if you want to borrow it, I'll let you. I have um, Fox's Book of Martyrs in my office. It's a great testimony to the, to the great martyrs of church history. I mean, some of just the amazing things. One of, one of my favorites is uh, Latimer and Ridley. It's Hugh Latimer, and I cannot remember Ridley's first name. Calvin Ridley, I think. I don't know if that's right or not. That might be a wide receiver from Alabama. <laughs> but it's Latimer and Ridley. And they, uh, in, the, in the persecution, because Protestantism and Catholicism were going back and forth as far as who's going to be in charge in England, and they were Protestant bishops who, I believe it's Mary, Queen of Scots, had decided she was going to make an example of. And these guys were old, like in their 70s. And so she decided, it's time to burn these guys at the stake. So locked them in jail, left them there. Because they don't just arrest you and burn you that day. That'd be too easy. they got to throw you in a dark hole for a couple of days or weeks, you know, to really soften you up first. And so they did that. And as they were bringing them out, and I can never remember which one's which, but either Latimer or Ridley was a little anxious. And, the, and his buddy gives him a great line. He goes, play the man, because this day in England we will light such a candle that will never be extinguished. <laughs> I've got a twisted sense of humor. I don't know if I could tell the buddy that I'm walking to the stake to be burned at that we're going to light a candle. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a 70, 80-year-old man like, let's go, I got this. That's peace. My second favorite is Polycarp, 86 years old, tell, tells the authorities, 80 years I have served Christ. I can't turn away from him now. Bring fire, bring lions, bring whatever. I'm good. 80-year-old man's like, I'm tired of running. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't care. That's peace. That's security. Where does it come from? Bearing up, from standing firm, proclaiming the right message, and proclaiming it faithfully as we continue to walk that's where it comes from that's what's given because what are they what are they longing for this is the end of hebrews 11 they have a better testimony they have a better inheritance why because they stood firm and their reward is in god not looking to this world but looking to the world that is to come and that's why the end is this in revelation 22 behold i am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I don't know you, but I know which one of those two groups I want to be part of. <laughs> How do I get there? By washing my robe in the blood of the Lamb. How do I do that? By warring each and every day against my sin. Loving my God more than I love this world. Loving my Savior more than I love the pleasures of the flesh. Turning away from that which I know, because the Holy Spirit is going, hey, pay attention in there. Turning away from that which I know is wrong, that which I know is evil, and turning towards the better thing. Will I miss out on stuff in this world? If I think about it from the wrong perspective, you're daggone right I will. Have I missed out on anything really? The answer is no. No. I've only missed out 
on what I'm craving. As a Christian, I'm supposed to be craving the righteousness of Christ and walking faithfully in that. That's the call. That's the provision, and that's the goal. And again, at any point have I told you this is easy? (laughs) If I have, I am sorry. Because the pull is constant, which is again why we're told to what? Build into the rock. Drop your anchor. Be rooted like the large giant oak tree. Be secure, not in yourself, but in Christ. Be grounded, not in your wisdom, in his wisdom. And be comforted by his grace, his community, not the world's community. Remember, 1 Corinthians 1, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is why Paul starts out with the Romans and tells him what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's what? The power of God unto salvation. If I have God, who cares if they think I'm an idiot? I don't need them to care if I'm an idiot. You know who already thinks I'm an idiot? I do. (laughs) I tell you this all the time. Pray for my wife. She's married to an idiot. (laughs) You can't say anything about me that I haven't already said about me. You can't think anything about me that I probably haven't already thought about me. And you know what? That's probably true about you too. Because you know you, and you understand you, and you know exactly where your darkness lies every single time. Even you. I'm going to point the bony finger at you. <laughs> why, does that, why does that matter so much? Because it's part of my anchoring. I am a useless idiot most of the time. But in God, I have value. By his gifting and his grace, I can do amazing things for the kingdom. I can instruct and I can encourage and I can build up his people. That's not because of me. That's because of him. They out there think I have wasted my time each and every week. And I don't care because God says, this is what you do. This is why you do it. And this is the fruit that it will bear. And I faithfully follow after him and forsake everything else. Christian, find whatever it is they're lying about and tell them, shut up. Find whatever the lie is. Walk away and recognize that I stand in Christ. My identity is in a crucified and risen Savior who is king of creation and has proclaimed the only message that topples the human heart, that changes the soul, and uplifts society. Think about that for a minute. What other book do we go, hey, if you read this, your entire world will be different? That's what we tell people all the time, right? When people tell me, I have atheists, I don't know what I should do. Get them to read their Bible. It's the most dangerous thing they'll ever do. I don't believe any of it. I know, read it anyway. That's what I did. (laughs) And look at me now. (laughs) This is what changes us. The proclamation of his word, because it is the power of his grace, because it is the accomplishment of his salvation. And the reward for faithful walking is the greatest thing in all of creation. God himself. And if you long for something else, you will long for the lesser broken thing, and you will live a lesser broken life. You will also face judgment. But if you walk faithfully longing for the right thing, the promise is the same. Security, comfort, blessing, because sin is covered by God. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you.
We thank you for the testimony that you've given, for the gracious provision of your word. That though you were rejected, you accomplished what you had planned. And though we have wandered astray, by your power we are made whole. By your sacrifice we are cleansed, and by your strength we walk. We ask, Lord, that you would never change that, that you would redeem us wholly, and that as we walk, you would complete the work that you have begun, that we would bear up under the pressures of this world, faithfully standing for the greatest thing, which is you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon and My Savior lives because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone. Because I know
life is worth the living just because he lived. And then one day I'll cross the river I'll fight life's final war with pain and then as death gives way to I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because All fear is gone because I know he the future and life. Because he lived, because he lived, I can face tomorrow, because he lived, because he lived. All fear is gone Because I know He holds the future And life is worth the living just because he lived and life is worth the living just because he lived because he So just reminder, Friday, 6 o'clock to forehand, service at 7 for Good Friday. And remember, down around, lunch, let's pray. That wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> that was Bill. <laughs> All right, try that again. Let's pray. There it was. Uh, Lord, again, we thank you. We ask, Lord, as we enter into a time of fellowship, that you would bless that time, that as your people, we'd be strengthened to walk faithfully, trusting and serving in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.